Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One of the most unique minds around Canadian football has to be Dwayne Ford. We could talk forever. There's so many places I want to go. But first and foremost, expansion seems to be at the forefront of the conversation around the league right now. I'm curious your take on this from multiple perspectives, but... Can you see this happening in the near future or even the long future? Yeah, I mean, I guess we would have to define near. But yeah, it is something that I, I have always thought that is the destiny of the Canadian Football League is to, to have a team on the East Coast, to be 10 teams, to be set up as, as five West and five East. And it, it solves a lot of problems, obviously. It makes things a little bit simpler to have not just an even number of teams, but equal number of teams in the divisions. We know the hurdles. They've been talked about many times. Your, your first choice in, in any city in Canada as far as a CFL team is, is to have local ownership. And population-wise, maybe there aren't quite as many options in Atlantic Canada for, for that to happen that you may have to consider other options. And obviously the, the building of a stadium that we know that that's not, uh, not something that is easily agreed on in, in any municipality and has been talked about for a long time on the East Coast. But in terms of the, the possibility of getting it done, it, it is something that, you know, as a fan of this league, as a follower, as someone who's somewhat invested in this league, something that, uh, that I definitely hope would happen somewhere in the future and believe will happen. There seemed to be some positive momentum pre-pandemic with Schooner Sports and Entertainment, potentially the Atlantic Schooners and that conditional $20 million from the city of Halifax. But that's seemingly all gone away. I think Mayor Mike Savage is singing a bit of a more positive tune about it. But it seems like anything with Schooner Sports and Entertainment is on hold right now, at least according to the Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. So you got to go out and find a whole new ownership group. And as you allude to, you got to get a stadium built somehow. Those are obviously two major hurdles. It's great that the league has all this energy and wants to do it and wants to stop talking about it. And I agree with you, we need to define the near future or what that could be. But it seems like there's an even bigger road to go here than there was before the pandemic. But why should the league be positive or the fans be upbeat about the possibility? Yeah, I I think you have a, a fan base there that well, sometimes people talk about if we focus on Halifax specifically is seemingly the most likely destination for a team. I know Moncton gets talked about as well, and there are, there are obviously positives to that. But um, some people talk about Halifax as maybe more of an event city than a, a sports city, like a city with a, a permanent team. But my sense is that in Atlantic Canada, you could have a team that becomes the region's team, much like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are sort of this team based in Regina that the whole province travels to support. I think you could have the same kind of dynamic in Atlantic Canada. And I think there are a lot of football fans out there, and I think a growing football fan base in that part of the country that, uh, that is hungry to have CFL football. If we get to that point, let's say hypothetical world, five and five, I know you have some very intriguing ideas <laughs> for the schedule and the playoff format. How could those benefit the league overall and what are those ideas? Yeah, I mean, I have long been very vocal about the fact that I haven't been a big fan of the league's playoff format and 
in a nine-team league that that we insist on dividing into east and west for the playoffs when sometimes there are imbalances between the divisions that you can have i mean you could quite honestly have a fifth place team in the west that's even better than the second place team has a better record than the second place team in the east but nonetheless ends up out of the playoffs and the way things have worked out with the the crossover the crossover doesn't necessarily solve the issues when you you kind of do the math on it that we so often when you end up looking at it you realize that the fourth place team again the way things have been in recent years where the west has been the stronger of the two divisions quite often that fourth place team in the west if they make the playoffs via the crossover if you look at it as a bracket technically their path to the gray cup is is easier than that of the third or even the second place team in in their own division so there's there's a bit of an inherent flaw in the way that the the crossover is set up and so i'm i'm not necessarily a huge fan of that now the biggest argument for me against the division-based playoff format that we've we've always had in this league has been that the schedule hasn't been division-based which it has become more so post-covid right we haven't had the the home and home between every team that the way the schedule used to be so I, I am a little more comfortable with the division-based playoff when you have a, more of an imbalanced schedule where your schedule is heavy within your own division. But yeah, I mean, you, you look historically for a lot of years, whether you're an East team or a West team, by the time you play everybody twice and then make up the remaining games within your own division, if you're a West team with five teams or an East team with four teams, your schedule involves 10 games against West opponents and eight games against East opponents, whether you're East or West, everybody's playing the same schedule. So then why would the playoff format be division or conference based? It doesn't make sense. So as I said, that's been partly resolved by the, the schedule. You get to 10 teams, it all, becomes, it all becomes a little bit easier, I think, to do division-based playoff format and to do a very much division-based schedule. And, you know, in, in terms of I've, I have thought it through <laughs> and you know in terms of my model what I would do is play if you had five and five is go 12 games within your division six games against the other division so you play everybody in your division three times two teams two of the teams you're going to play them at home twice on the road once and flip-flop that for the other two that would alternate every year as to who has the two home games and then your remaining six games you play each of the five teams in the other division once with the sixth game or sixth opponent being determined by strength of schedule from previous season standings, one plays one, two plays two, three plays three, and, and so on for your, your sixth non-conference game, non-division game, and your 18th game overall. That seems Problem simple. Solved. Problem Let's just solved. get a team out in Atlanta, Canada. That's all we got to do. Go. Just make it happen. <laughs> I know you always have lots of ideas around football in this league, but one that I think is the most intriguing that you know I've talked about recently is CFL free agency. Hate it. And the way that it's set up. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, there's, there's too much player movement and it, it's too easy. But to go back a step further, the, the biggest issue for me is that complete unrestricted free agency isn't what I would call congruent with a league that has a salary cap system. Right? When you look at a salary cap system, you know, sort of elements of making that work are player recruitment, player development, player retention that works with a salary cap because there's some control of of salaries and you're developing from within you're avoiding a lot of bidding wars and so on and not trying to take free agency away from from the players by any stretch but 
you look around the world, I don't think there's another league in professional sports that has a salary cap system where some element of their free agency isn't restricted. It has to be. It's, that's what works. And so I think when you look right now at the way salaries are, are escalating and yeah, I, I get the positives of that. Trust me, as a former player, I, I was a guy who played in an era where literally from year two through year 12 of, of my career, I played for the same base salary. So I, I, believe me, I'm not against seeing the players in the Canadian Football League make a little bit more money. But at the same time, I think for this league to work, when teams develop players, they should be in a better position to keep those players as opposed to spending two or three years developing guys just to have them go and play somewhere else because there's no right to match or there's no compensation in free agency that, that guys can just move on. And I, I don't think it's necessarily great in terms of developing stars within markets and, and having fans really sort of develop relationships with their team's star players and to be able to sell merchandise and jerseys with names on the back when you have a lot of the league's biggest stars changing teams literally every year on one-year contracts. So I would like to see a form of re restricted free agency and, um, you know, and create a little bit more stability through that. And it, what, it, what I would suggest is a, a format where you have basically, you know, players having to have four years of service in professional football before their free agency becomes unrestricted. Prior to that point, if a contract expires, then you're looking at the, their existing team having a right to match offers. If they choose not to match an offer, then you do compensation. Canadian player moves and the compensation is in the form of a draft pick. An American player moves and the compensation is in the form of being able to, to select a player from the other team's negotiation list. In your head, do you think that the amendment that they made in the CBA where you can get guaranteed money in the second year of a contract, if you've been with that team for two years, helps make free agency any better in your mind or do they need to go the yeah, full way well, of what and, and I think to be fair, yes, I think when you look at asking the players who for some time have had complete unrestricted free agency to give some portion of that up and move to, to a restricted free agency system for, for younger players, in particular less experienced players, then yeah, I think that the thing in return is to have some form of guaranteed contracts for players and, and that part is, is in motion. And maybe you look to extend or expand that a little bit in terms of more players having the opportunity to, to have guaranteed contracts in exchange for restricted free agency. You're a former player, you just mentioned it. What do you think it means to the players to have a cut now of the revenue? And are they potentially true partners because they have a share of the pie? Yeah, I, I think it's something that, that from a player's perspective, I think you have to realize goes both ways, right? Because I think sometimes that, I mean, for me, I'm a guy who, yeah, I have been around the Canadian Football League for a long time. I've, as a player, broadcaster, et cetera, since 1991, that was, that was my rookie year. But before that, I grew up as in a family of Toronto Argonaut season ticket holders. I mean, I was very much immersed in, in the Canadian Football League. So I've followed it pretty closely and look at the history of the league and kind of know when I say it's a two-way street that, yeah, we've seen a lot of things that, that indicate prosperity in in today's CFL over the course of the last decade or so, right? You talk about the, the number of new stadiums or stadium upgrades or renovations, new stadiums in, in Winnipeg, uh, Regina, Hamilton during that time, new stadium, new franchise in Ottawa, renovations and upgrades in BC, 
Calgary, Edmonton during that time. So you see a lot of things that, that kind of suggest prosperity, you know, pretty good TV contract as well, relatively speaking during, during that time. So there's, there are a lot of positives, but we also know that the Canadian football league compared to some other pro sports leagues, um, you know, we walk a little bit of a, of a fine line in terms of prosperity and struggles. And sometimes you, you see teams in somewhat precarious situations. And so I, I, I think as players, you have to recognize that, yeah, it's, it's great to share when things are going well, but you also have to recognize that if we're going to be full partners as players, that sometimes there's going to be a little bit of a hit when, when there's a, a bump in the road. The Alouettes were just in a bit of a precarious situation with Gary Stern and Sid Spiegel and his passing. And they get the ownership situation solved really quickly with Pierre-Carlo Pelado coming in. I'm curious your take on Pelado and also if his addition to the set of owners now across the CFL, you said you've been a part of it since 1991, gives the league its most stable ownership base it's ever had. Yeah, I think that you can you can make a pretty good case for that when you, you look across this league at at the group of owners that have, have some who have been around for a longer time, but some who have come in a little bit more recently when you look at the situations in, in. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. BC in particular. Um, you know, new leadership in Edmonton as well. Not necessarily in ownership per se. But, um, but new leadership that I think we can all feel really positively about. And, and that's a big thing, I think, especially when you talk about big markets that, that at times the CFL has had its ups and downs when you look at Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, that all three of those are in, are in very good shape and local ownership as well that you would say you, you feel very stable about, and that's huge for the Canadian Football League. And what do you feel about the addition of Pelado, who's a Canadian billionaire, has a bunch of media companies, seems to know the space pretty well, yeah. but do you like him and his passion for the Owls? Yeah, I do. I think it's great to have an owner who's, this isn't just a, a whim to him. This is something that he, he actually cares about as, as a resident of Quebec, as, you know, as a sports fan as well. And, you know, it's kind of his interest in it from a business point of view is, is almost secondary to his, his genuine care for, for the success of the franchise. And I think that's important. The CFL has changed a lot of rules recently to try to increase scoring. Some of them admittedly I like, some of them I don't like. I feel like we're not necessarily seeing the best product in a way because we're kind of forcing points to come in a way and not letting it actually happen from exciting offenses, which you were a part of through that stretch in the 90s, a bunch of dynamic quarterbacks in this league. Yeah. Not to say there aren't that now, but I just feel like there's not as many of those high-scoring games. What rule changes do you like, don't like, or what would you tweak about the game on the field right now? Yeah, and you know, I talked a little bit about it last year when the, the hash marks were moved, for example. And there are aspects of the game that that changes. And you know, some people will see that as a positive. Um, 
you know, maybe more scoring, more balls going to the wide side of the field and, and so on. And that's fine. But a little bit of it for me is I honestly feel that balls not going to the wide side was more of a conscious decision than an issue with the, the spacing on the field. And so I felt that it was a, a rule that, that we changed that wasn't really, is kind of like fixing the symptom as opposed to, to fixing the illness. And, you know, I mean, part of, the, part of the challenge that we have in the Canadian Football League right now, obviously, is you see other leagues popping up south of the border. Um, you have seen, quite frankly, the National Football League's offensive, offensive schemes have changed in a way that mimics things that we've done in the Canadian Football League for a long time. And what that means is that quarterbacks who have always been of great value up here, given their skill sets, given their mobility, maybe guys who aren't as big, but guys who can move where their ability to move around is as important as their ability to, to throw the football, that a lot of quarterbacks that a generation ago would have been in the Canadian Football League and would have been ignored by the NFL because they weren't your classic pocket passers. Well, we're seeing those kind of guys now as, as first round picks in the National Football League. But what it means is it becomes that much harder to, to find your elite Canadian Football League quarterbacks. And so, you know, we have to do things to put ourselves in the best possible position, not just to find those guys, but also if the elite guys aren't as readily available, then we need to put ourselves in the best possible position to develop quarterbacks because the nature of, of Canadian football is that it's very much a quarterback-driven game. And, you know, so I think that there may be some things to be done with the, the tweaking of the salary cap to... Uh, maybe make it more attractive for young quarterbacks to not just come up here as backups, but to stay here and have the time to develop. We, we've seen with quarterbacks, it is, it's a process. You don't typically see first year, even second year quarterbacks come up here and have success right away. It, it takes a little bit of time and financially there needs to be some incentive for those guys to be here instead of being in other American leagues and also to stay here and to, to be patient and, and wait for their time to come. Look at Nathan Rourke, he spent a year largely behind the scenes. You and I maybe had an idea of what he was capable of, but I think he even blew that yeah. <laughs> out of the water. But he has that year behind Mike Riley, soaks it in, learns, does really well, but he's in a little bit of a different position because he was Canadian and didn't have any other options, to your point about perhaps tweaking the salary cap. But could Rourke be a lesson for the rest of the teams in the league or a way that you could develop these quarterbacks? And I'm saying that with Chad Kelly in mind too, thinking that, he sat for a year, similar to Rourke, right? Started a game, played a little bit. Obviously, we know the plays he made in the Grey Cup. And the Argos are confident in going with him. Somebody that's new, not somebody that's been around the league and has been a 500 quarterback. Now, I'm obviously asking you multiple questions here, but in terms of quarterback specifically, could the route to better quarterback play perhaps be more Canadians? Uh, I think that there is that potential. Obviously, you've, you've got a wave. When you look across the league, we are developing better Canadians at literally every position. You know, in past generations, it used to be, and I, you know, I say this using sort of Division I football as, as a standard or as a measuring stick, taking absolutely nothing away from U sports football, of which the level improves every year and produces remarkable players. But using the number of Canadians playing NCAA Division I football is a, is a little bit of a, a measuring stick of guys who 
where the Canadians are at the same level as the Americans. Um, it used to be that most of the Canadians playing NCAA Division I football were offensive linemen, you know, and then secondarily would be defensive linemen as all you were getting was, I shouldn't say all you were getting, but primarily the people who were being recruited to play down there were getting recruited based on their size. And what you're seeing now is Canadian Division I players contributing to not just mid-major programs, but programs at all levels, the best programs in the country, as very significant players at literally every position and every skill position. And so, you know, I think that what that means is that you've got a wave of Canadians coming who can play, you could have any position, including quarterback, be a Canadian position. And, and you're kind of seeing that wave at quarterback of, of more and more Canadians who are down there demonstrating that they can compete with the type of American players who are coming up here to play quarterback. You've had the opportunity to interview for GM positions, so I'm going to ask you kind of through that lens, because it's difficult. It's easy to say as a fan or even an analyst, but should teams go the route of a Nathan Rourke or a Chad Kelly and give a new guy a fresh chance instead of, you know, what some fans might say, sticking with a guy who's in and around the 500 mark in terms of wins and losses? Yeah, uh, one of the things that, that I have honestly come to believe about this league, as we talk about it as a quarterback-driven league, is I think that who you have coaching your quarterbacks is actually probably more important than, you have play, than who you have playing quarterback. And so a big part of that in terms of who you go with at quarterback, I guess depends on how you feel about your, your ability to prepare and develop those players with the, the coaches that you have on staff. And while we have a number of, of great developers of quarterbacks in this league, um, you know, we've also lost some, some guys who are pretty good at it too. When you think about, as one example, Scott Milanovic, you know, Mark Tressman, guys that have, have been up here and have moved on. Um, and I, but I think it's important to make sure that we are doing the best to, to develop our quarterback coaches. And, um, you know, that gives us all sorts of options at, at the position as well, if we're able to to coach the quarterbacks well and prepare them well, then it gives young guys the best opportunity to play. You mentioned Milanovic, and he's been in the NFL for a little while now. And you think of two guys that he developed way back in Toronto when Ricky Ray was there. Zach Kalaros is the highest paid guy in the league at $600,000. And Trevor Harris is the third highest paid guy just behind Bolivar Mitchell at $500,000. So you go that far back yeah. and you have these two guys from one of those quarterback developers. And I think the other one would be Dave Dickinson, you look at Calgary's quarterback play, yeah. and you experience some of this as a player. Oh, yeah. It's been high level, if not elite, for years. Why is Dickinson able to develop these guys? Because he isn't like divulging these secrets. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's kind of a, a neat chain, you know, and I, I can't say exactly what Dave's secret has been, other than a part of it being some of the people that he's had around him. When, when you look at what John Huffnagel's history has been, both in the Canadian Football League and National Football League. Coach Tom Brady. Yeah, like with the, the list of quarterbacks that he's worked with. Um, for a period of time, George Cortez was the offensive coordinator. A couple of different stints as the OC in Calgary. And when you look at what George Cortez's resume was in terms of the quarterbacks that he worked with at the NCAA level um, in the Canadian Football League, 
pretty impressive results there as well. And so that's a lot of what Dave has seen in his career and has been able to, to emulate. But when you think about an organization where you've had John Huffnagel as your general manager for a period of time, Dave Dickinson as your head coach, and for a big chunk of that, Ryan Dinwiddie as your quarterback's coach, and even a guy like Mark Mueller, outstanding U sports quarterback, son of a le- or grandson of a legend in Ron Lancaster, an understanding of the importance of quarterbacks and making your putting your quarterback in the best possible position to succeed with what you're doing scheme wise, what you're doing around him, who you're putting around him, and so on. Um, you you kind of recognize with that many sets of quarterback eyes in the the offensive pot that um, yeah, developing their quarterback and and improving their quarterback play is is probably going to turn out pretty favorably. I don't know if you were alluding to this earlier, but some fans in People in the media have alluded to the fact that maybe there should be a quarterback salary cap that's separate. And you kind of touched on it earlier, how maybe the salary cap should be tweaked to entice Americans to stay up here. But is that something that you're a proponent of? Or do you think there's a way of doing that where we can entice those quarterbacks, perhaps from the States or even in Canada, to stay here? Because Nathan Rourke has now left the CFL for an opportunity in the NFL. And there are obviously millions more to be made down there but is there a structure where you think you can entice these players to either stay here or come and develop as you alluded to earlier yeah i i think there is and i i won't suggest that i necessarily have all the answers but i do think that looking at some sort of setup where every team has the same as you said almost a separate salary cap for quarterbacks um you know i i think going a step further making sure that there's there are developmental spots spot on your practice roster for a quarterback who's getting reps, things like really being committed and putting some some detail into the the quarterback internship program that gives you a chance at developing some of the Canadian quarterbacks as well. Um, when you look at it big picture, I don't think it's so much a matter of keeping a Nathan Rourke, a guy who has an NFL opportunity, because we know financially we're not going to be able to to compete with what the NFL ultimately can can offer financially. But I think when you look at the fact that that you've got other leagues popping up in the States and that sometimes for American players, you need to give them incentive to come up here to play rather than staying at home to play and not deal with exchanging Canadian money for American money when they're moving back in the off season and and those sorts of things, right? And so um, that I think is where some of the, where you have to look at making sure that you are providing incentive for those players to play in the Canadian Football League rather than to play in other American leagues. You've been gracious with your time. We're lucky to have you, even though you're wearing that purple logo on your chest. But is there anything else that you want to touch on before we let you go? We'll save it for the next visit. It'll force you to have me back. <laughs> All right, my man. Appreciate it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.